something. Um, Mrs. Wheeler, we loved seeing you. Thanks for your gratefulness. Though we do know when you, when, we want to know when you referenced how the deacons were fun, which deacon were you talking about? Who's the fun deacon? I know each of them thinks it's them. Um, if you're new here, my name is Ricky, and I am one of the pastors here at the church. And this month we're expressing gratefulness. And so I want to express gratefulness to my wife uh, because last Sunday was our 12th anniversary, uh, which is awesome. So, uh, which is a miracle that she married me in the first place and she stayed with me for 12 years. And I just want to say this. Uh, I know that at our church, often I'm the person teaching the Bible or saying something in the front, um, but nothing that I do would be possible without Jen. And I really do mean that. Uh, This year, like many years, she's seen me at my highs and at my lowest of lows, uh, and she's been faithful to point me to Jesus and be a steady, encouraging presence. So if you've ever been blessed by anything that I've done at the church, uh, please thank Jen because she's really the one that enables that to happen. So babe, I love you. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, We're going to be in the book of Isaiah today. So I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Now we had a a different plan in terms of what to preach today, but after thinking about it, after taking it to the Lord, we really do feel like God is leading us to lean into the Advent season that we are about to start next weekend officially. Because this week, as I have talked to many people, I think we're all waiting in different ways. I think we feel stuck waiting in some ways as we close this year out. We are waiting and grieving with the Orcutt family as they deal with what is now a longer wait than they would like to see their daughter and sister again. We're waiting for several folks in our church who have had uh, the virus, had had coronavirus, to be fully restored. Some folks, like the parishes, are still waiting for a full healing and restoration. We are waiting for uh, being able to have a free and normal in every way Christmas and Thanksgiving season again. And in some ways, I think we hate this feeling of waiting, but in other ways, I think this Feeling is one of the best things the Lord could do for us this year. We're going to see today that waiting can be a good thing if we point our waiting in the right, beginning in verse 9. We're going to be in Isaiah 40. We're going to read just three verses, beginning in verse 9. This is God's word. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would speak to us in this season of waiting. Help us to point our longings to the right place as we gather in your name, amen. 
All right, I got three questions we're gonna ask the text today. The first question is this, what are you waiting for? Or rather, three questions the text asks, asks us. What are you waiting for? Now, Isaiah 40, I, I chose to teach again from this passage because between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40, there should be like a big blank page in your Bible because Isaiah 1 to 39 is, is all uh, warnings and messages to God's people before they're taken into captivity into Babylon, before their homeland is burned down, before they're carried away and, and live under the rule of uh, kind of a, a dictator in another land. And then Isaiah 40 to 66 is written to people in exile and after exile. So there's a long wait, in a sense, between 39 and 40. And I want us to imagine just for a second what it would be like to live in that blank page. Imagine that you're an old man now reading this passage from Isaiah, hearing uh, one of the teachers open the scroll and read from this passage you're an old man who was taken into captivity as a young man. You remember vividly your city burning. You remember your family's home being looted by soldiers. You remember the long, endless walk of sorrow all the way to Babylon. You can no longer visit the temple as you grew up doing. That temple is destroyed. You aren't in God's promised land for his people. You're in another land and you're stuck waiting, wondering, will this ever change? That's, that is the person that receives this good news in Isaiah 40. And I wonder if you can relate. What are you waiting for as we head to the end of this year? Are you waiting for a new year? Uh, one of the things I'm concerned about is everybody's just ragging on 2020 and, and they're like, oh, I can't wait for this year to be over. It, you know, it's not a magical wand, right? It's not like January 1st, 2021. It's all, you know, all like, like everything's gonna be back to normal and everyone's getting free tickets to Disney World. Like this is, you know, it's gonna be kind of the same in some ways. Sorry to break that to you. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a new year on the calendar? Are you waiting to fully be able to enjoy life? I, and talking to folks in my community group, there's all things that we all have things that like, oh, I just can't wait to do that again. Uh, for me, it's I can't wait to sit in a crowded theater and gasp at the next Marvel movie that's the same as the last 30 movies, but they put a new coat of paint on that thing and I'm clapping again, right? I, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to no longer be separated from friends and family in certain ways. Um, Jen's parents live uh, over on the East Coast and they've not been able to visit because of health risks. We long to see them again. Are you waiting for the uncertainty to be over? Are you waiting for the political strife to finally end? If we're in that place of waiting, I just want to say that is exactly the place that this text is written to, to waiting people like us. And that's why it's surprising to find in that waiting an explosion of joy in verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. 
There's this buildup to Isaiah's building up to this moment of saying, I've got good news. Here's the good news. It means you don't have to be afraid and go on to the highest peak that you can find and shout this out. What's the message? Behold your God. Out of all that God's people are waiting for, the announcement, the good news explosion is not about what they're waiting for. It is about who they are waiting for. Isaiah announces that the thing they have been waiting for behind all of their other waiting is God himself. Look, as a, as a kid, on Christmas Eve, we would always go to my mom's side of the family's house, to my nana and granddad's house. And I remember this one uh, Christmas Eve that I got in trouble. And I got in trouble, uh, unsurprising, but I, I got in trouble because I was obsessed with guessing what my Christmas present under the tree was and was ignoring and being really unkind as a kid to my grandparents whose house we were at for Christmas Eve in the first place, right? I was all about what was right there, all the stuff, all the, the, you know, the, the, the packaging and, and what was inside them and ignoring my grandparents. And you know what? As you age, you obviously get perspective. But this year in particular, I found it a renewed perspective as I think back on that Christmas Eve because my Nana is still with us. She's my last surviving grandparent. She has a lot of health issues, a lot of risks, especially for this particular virus. And I have prayed at different times this year, Lord, just give me another Christmas with my Nana. Right, because in an instant, in a year like this, you begin to find it's not the stuff, it's the people, right? But, but on an infinite scale, it's not the, the what that we're waiting for. It is the who that we are waiting for. We are waiting for God himself. This is what our hearts have been waiting for since we entered this world. I want to commend to you a study this Advent season on the word waiting in the Bible. Uh, for example, Psalm 25 says, none who wait for you, Lord, will be put to shame. For you, I wait. I wait for you, right? Out of the many things that we are waiting for, let's remember, church, we have to point our longings, point our waiting in the right place, and that place is God himself. But that brings the second question then, where is God then in our waiting? Where is he? If we've been waiting for him, where is he? The text answers the question, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes. Now, the remarkable thing about this word to the people in Babylon, right, is that they believed, they felt like God had abandoned them. The temple was destroyed, the place of God's presence, and it was their sin, their evil as a nation that led them into judgment, into separation from God. God's people had, had separated themselves from God, and so God, in response, separates them from their land, from him, in a sense. And of course, as always, once we're separated from God, our souls shrink, and we feel grief and sadness and all of that. But, but there are two things in this simple phrase that are glorious. The first one is the word, your. 
Behold your God. That, that is a remarkable word in light of where God's people have been. They said, you're not our God anymore. We're going to do our own thing. They bore the consequences. And yet the Lord comes to them again and he calls himself their God. They are still his people. They may be hundreds of miles from their land. They may be cut off from the presence of God in the temple, but he still calls himself their God. Not because they've kept up their end of the covenant, but because God has always kept his. In making them his people, he will not let them go. I remember once in our community group, one of the the, the girls in our community group were sharing that her dad had this ritual that when they'd, when they'd go to bed, he would, he would say, do you know I love you? And she would say, yes, dad, I know you love me. Am I ever gonna stop loving you? He would ask. And she would say, no, dad, you're never gonna stop loving me. And, then he, and he had taught her the answer to this next question. Why will I never stop loving you? And her answer was, because you're my dad. And in that way, her dad is a great dad, tying his affection not to because I've been a good girl today or not because you have to, but because you're my dad, right? This is what the Lord is doing with his people. He calls them his people because he has made them his people and nothing will change that relationship to his people. He is still their God. And this is good news for us, guys, because I've, I've got the sense that in 2020, I think all of us uh, see weaknesses in our own lives. I don't think, I haven't met anybody it, that, that's coming to the end of 2020 and thinking, yeah, that 2020, I did that right. Nailed it. Got it. You know, in my relationship with God, no unbelief, no anxiety, just smooth sailing as it relates to my family. Yeah, I, I was patient every day, Right. You know, I just embraced joyfully uh, Skype education for my children at all moments. Um, I never got frustrated at things I could not do. Just thank God for what I could do. Um, and and it, was, it was great. It was a great year. No, I haven't heard anybody. If that's you, man, I would love to talk to you and get some tips for next year. Um, but I think for all of us, we come to the end of 2020 and think, man, I, that, that, that wasn't my best year. Here's the good news. The Lord being your God is not dependent on you having a good year. The Lord being your God is dependent on the fact that he has made you his son or daughter and he still, at the end of 2020, calls you his child. He still says, behold, your God. The next phrase that I think is glorious is, behold, the Lord comes, right? Isaiah it has this unique perspective in, in 40 to 66 where he can see, in other words, the Lord gives him a prophetic vision of sort of the, all the sweep of world history. And he can see it all like at a glance, like wow. And so he's not caught up in the tiny moment of time he lives in. He can see the whole thing. And from the perspective of all history, this could not be more true. Behold, the Lord God comes. There, there does exist in this moment in Babylon what seems to be a distance between God and his people, but God is on his way to close that gap. God is always on his way in the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of God on his way to us, closing the gap between us and God, right? Adam and Eve sin. They cut themselves off from God. God comes to them. 
The world is in ruin, and God comes to a pagan named Abraham. A murderer flees from his homeland, and God comes to Moses. A people are in bondage in Egypt, and God comes and frees his people again and again and again. God is always on the way. God is always closing the gap. And what Isaiah can see is at the end of history, God himself will come to earth. Isaiah's perspective is, oh, look, it's right there, right? We live in this moment where it's like, it's so long. Isaiah can see the whole thing and goes, oh, just boop, that's what it is. He's, he's on his way. He's coming right now. The glorious truth of this season, this Advent season, the word Advent means arrival. The glorious truth of this season is that God has arrived to be with his people in the person of Jesus Christ. That it may have felt like an eternity for people in Isaiah's day, but we look back and we see it was like that. John 1 says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming, was coming into the world and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and Truth. We this year, church, at the end of the year might ask, where is God in our waiting? And we find the answer, he's in the manger. He has come to be with us. The, the advent of Christ is the loudest answer God could possibly give humanity when we ask the question, where are you? I'm there. I've come to be with you. You. He, had, he made the leap into our human form and experience. He took on flesh and he did that so that he could empty himself and become nothing, dying the death that we deserve on the cross. And in so doing, he closed the gap forever between God and his people so that for all eternity, God's people would never be without God's presence ever again. We're waiting for a lot of things, church, but could it be that the thing we are most waiting for has already come? We rejoice in seeing that manger. We rejoice in celebrating this season because it is the answer, God's answer to the question, where are you? The answer is, I am with you but we still live in the gap, don't we? Some of the last, one of the last verses in the Bible is Jesus' simple statement, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus ascended and he promised to return and he promises that when he returns, we will be united with our Lord for all eternity. Make no mistake, we do experience God's presence truly right here, right now. But we will experience God's presence fully one day when he returns. Look, this year can feel, I, I was watching, watching a news clip of folks in Las Cruces where at one of the hospitals uh, or facilities there, a number of families have taken to visiting their loved ones who are in a COVID unit through the window. Because the closest they can get right now is to park and to walk across the rocks and put their hand on the window and look in on their dad or sister or brother or mother. And sometimes 2020 can feel like that. where It's like the Lord's here, but 
it feels so far. You know what I mean? We can feel like, oh, that's, that's too far. I can't, I can't wait. I feel separated. But this is not, <laughs> biblically speaking, I don't think that's an accurate picture. You know what the accurate picture would be? It would be us. We've done this a few times with my boys. We show up at my parents' house, uh, find them through the window like a bunch of creepers, and knock on the window, and their face lights up, and then they put up their finger saying, one minute, and they walk around and open the door. This year, this lifetime is just that brief moment it takes for our Heavenly Father to walk from where he is through the door to embrace us. We see him. He's right there. He hasn't left us. He never will. But one day, the doors will be flung open and we will be embraced fully. The presence of God fully with us. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for him. And he is here and he is on the way. Third question then. Who have we waited for? We need to point our longings to the right place. Because maybe up until this point, you're like, well, I know you're saying that God's the one we're waiting for. Prove it. This has been a hard year. Is that really what I'm waiting for? I feel like I'm waiting for something else. No, listen to this. When we see who he is, we understand that all of our waiting is pointed at him. We learn three things about the one we're waiting for. First, he is the warrior. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. In Jesus, we find the warrior we long for. Just look at, look at what we've walked through in the Gospel of Luke so far. Look at the forces that Jesus has wrestled to the ground. He has wrestled with sickness and paralysis and won. He has wrestled with demons, as we saw a couple weeks ago, an army of demons and emerges victorious. We, we find him last week seeing the true enemy death in the face of of a little girl and this risen son of God, the incarnate son of God puts his boot to the neck of death and emerges gloriously, victorious. All of this, church, is only foreshadowing the cross where Jesus will wrestle all these powers down and death itself will have its jaw broken and the Lord Jesus Christ will rise. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, that one day, even though the jaw of death and sin and Satan have been broken, one day they will be put away and destroyed forever. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, meaning when that last gap is closed and the Lord emerges from the house with his arms open wide and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You know, the answer to that question is, it's nowhere, nowhere anymore for the Lord emerges victorious. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the one that we have waited for and are waiting for. But if he came once, 
and he knocked death down, busted a bunch of people out, took the keys to Hades. He will return. He's like that little kid who's somebody's being mean to them in the supermarket and they look up at the mean person and say, my dad is coming. And you see his dad, your dad comes around the corner. He's a six foot tall, six foot five, you know, 280 pound muscle bound dude. And you're like, oh, that's not gonna go well, right? He is the warrior we wait for. Second, he is also the giver. Behold, it says, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So after a a long military campaign, a conquering king would bring back to his homeland all the plunder of his victories. He He would award gifts to his advisors, to his generals. And often what would happen is is when he returned, there would be days and days of feasting, right? The entire country would celebrate all that their king had won in battle. He would set out a feast with the finest food, the finest drinks, right? He wins the victory, but even the people back in the homeland, they didn't do nothing. They still enjoy the gifts, right? This is what our God is like. Ephesians 4.8 says, that not only did Jesus lead the captives out of sin and, and, and out of bondage, but he frees the captives and then gives them gifts, right? This is who our God is. Not only does he free us, not only does he rescue us, he then rewards us, which is insane. Right? It, this month, our culture gives thanks, But we, largely as a culture, give thanks to nothing, right? All the signs, give thanks, give thanks. To what, right? Give thanks for all the gifts you have. And we're just like, oh, yeah, thank you. To to what? Wasn't, you know, (laughs) wasn't like this stuff magically appeared. Who do we give thanks to? We give thanks because our gifts, any gifts in our lives point us to the giver. Any gift. The the, the scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, meaning all of the good things that have gotten you through this year, they have been generous gifts from the hand of your God who not only saved you, but now gifts you so much. But this year, I think we have also felt the absence of so many gifts that we normally receive. Maybe you feel the absence of friends filling your living room or the absence of calendar activities or the absence of loved ones that are near you. We feel the absence of these things because the gifts were so good. And in those moments, church, I think we need to remember as, as so, many, some, so many of these varied and beautiful gifts have been removed in 2020, let us remember two things. One, the fact that it hurts that it's gone meant that it was a wonderful gift. But second, remember this, the giver is not done giving There will be more gifts in this life and there will be many more in the life to come. Same giver, 
right? It's like somebody, you know, maybe your closest family member gives you your favorite Christmas present ever, but you ruin it, right? You spill coffee on the shirt. You ruin it. But Christmas is coming, and they're about to give you something new again. And so you look forward. You look forward to the giver. Third thing, the shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosoms and gently lead those that are with young. Now, this is an image that sort of reinforces everything else the passage has been saying about God. That The shepherd is with his flock, right? This is not, being a shepherd is not a clock in, clock out job. Where you're like, all right, Frank, see you later, right? You can clock out, leave work at home, you know, leave work at work, just enjoy it. No, no, the shepherds lived with their work, right? They were with their sheep 24-7. And wherever the sheep are, that's where the shepherd is. And the shepherd is also a warrior. He doesn't carry the staff for fun, right? That's for wolves. He fights threats. He sees danger. He beats back enemies, and he also gives good gifts. He, he nourishes and leads the flock to green pastures and to cool streams. And he carries those that can't walk anymore. This is who the Lord is for his people. We have been waiting our entire lives for a shepherd. And in the Lord, we find a good shepherd. Listen to the words of Jesus here. He says this, probably referencing this verse directly. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good Shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says later, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Right, this is a shepherd so relentlessly committed to his sheep that he would lay down even his own life, right? No shepherd does that. I mean, shepherds want to protect the flock from wolves, but at the end of the day, if there's a pack of wolves, they're not going to win, they're going to run, take the sheep. Not this shepherd. This shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. One day, church, well, we live in this dual reality where right now, right now, the good shepherd is with us. He has not left you at any point this year. He will not leave you at any point this year. He is with you to protect you, to nourish you, to sustain you, to, to lift you when you cannot walk anymore. But one day we will experience the fullness of God as our shepherd, where no wolves will stalk us anymore, where the city of God will be only and always cool streams and green pastures. Isn't that good news? And recently I watched this World War II movie called Greyhound. And the movie is about this part of World War II uh, that I'd never really known about before, the Battle of the Atlantic. And here's what would happen in the Battle of the Atlantic. You'd have these convoys of American supplies and troops that would be sent from America to 
England. And within flying distance, kind of from Canada and from England, they had air cover. And so, you know, they're, they're pretty much fine. But they would enter this, this area that they would sail through for three or four days called the Black Pit. It was a black pit because it was cold and it was hostile, but especially because it was a perfect hunting ground for wolf packs of German U-boats. They would work in groups and they would wait. And as soon as they spotted a convoy, they went to work. So the movie is about this, this commander, Krauss, who's, the, who's leading this destroyer. And this destroyer is, you know, can only be in one place at one time, but it's, it's sailing around trying to protect the entire convoy from being attacked. And at once, it's, if you're looking for like a de-stressor movie, don't watch this movie because it is the most stressful movie I have seen this year. Here's what happens. For three straight days, this convoy is harassed and attacked. And to add insult to injury, the German commander keeps finding their radio frequency and jumping on the frequency and taunting them and literally howling like a wolf until they can change the frequency and move somewhere else, right? So Commander Kraus is there. This goes on hour after hour. People keep bringing him food. He never eats the food. They take the food away. They bring more food. He never sits down from my view, from what I can see of the movie. He doesn't sit down for three days. He is constantly uh, directing and leading and helping. And by the end of the third day, his feet are bloody from lack of seating because his, his, his shoes have cut into his skin. And finally, finally at the very end, I'll spoil it for you, they make it. And when I watched the movie, I thought, man, that is 2020, isn't it? Like that, that's what it feels like. Like there's danger in the water. It's cold. Uh, we're taking friendly, they take friendly fire at one point. A friend, this other boat just rakes them across the bow and all their windows get shot out. So now it's extra cold and it's just the worst. And I feel like that's 2020. I, there's danger out there. I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel good. It feels cold. It feels scary. That's what life is like, man. And, you know, and, and, and so I'm, like I always do after I watch a movie, I'm reading IMDb to look up the fun facts about it. And I found that it was, a, it was actually based on a novel by C.S. Forrester. Called, and the original title of the novel was this, The Good Shepherd. And it was, it was this weird moment, right, where I read the title, The Good Shepherd, and the whole movie, I watched the movie thinking, man, that's me just like that good commander, doing, you know, trying to keep everybody safe, doing, doing the best I can. And it was like in that moment, the Lord used this to kind of speak to me and say, I'm the good shepherd, not you. Because here's the truth, church. Here's the truth. Jesus, in shepherding us, he never rests. Jesus, in shepherding us, never fails. Jesus, in shepherding us, never misjudges anything. He, he never asks us to do more than he is willing to do. He is the good shepherd. I'm the guy on the boat trying to relay uh, you know, messages, and I keep sneezing, and the captain keeps looking at me like, can you keep it together? The hope that we have as we finish this year and sail into a new one is that we have 
a good shepherd. The water may be cold, the wind may be biting, there may be danger in the water, but our good shepherd will lead us home. So as we enter this Advent season, church, here's my encouragement. Rejoice. Rejoice that God has come. Rejoice that God is with us. Rejoice that the gap between us and God has been closed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we right now, we have a warrior. We have a giver. We have a shepherd. Rejoice, but wait. Wait with hope. Wait for one day the wolves to all be gone. Wait for one day our tables to be filled with feasting. Wait for the warrior to throw down death forever. Wait for the giver to give his best gifts. Wait for the shepherd to lead us safely home. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord, I pray specifically today just feel led to pray specifically for folks that just may feel the absence of you being with them. Maybe they felt alone. Maybe they felt lonely this week or this month or this year. God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, through your presence with us, you would point them again to the hope that God has come to be with us. And I pray that they would see in the manger the loudest statement you could possibly make that you are with them. And Lord, I pray that we as a whole church would would seize this season, not waste it, but seize it and learn to be good at waiting. Learn to be good at pointing our hopes to the one that all our hopes rest ultimately in. Pray that in your name, amen.